This is Unpacking Design. I'm your host, Michael Valley, And I'm Tim Ung. Every week, we talk about the tools and tech that inspires our lives as designers. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Unpacking Design 2021. This is an exciting year. We've got a lot going on. And today, there is one topic that I think relates to a lot of designers, because I like to think that most designers are an entrepreneur at some level. We have some tendencies where we come up with an idea or we see something and then we start thinking to ourselves, you know, we could probably sell that or, oh, I know a few people who would buy this. For example, if you like doing comic strips, people will buy that. If you like to design digital products like templates for Word for resumes, people will buy that too. And we're in this crazy digital economy right now where there's an abundance of digital products that people have designed and put out there. So today, we're going to be unpacking selling digital products. And the way that I want to kick this off is I want to just talk a little bit about these different categories that I've brainstormed. Okay. The first one is this category that I'm going to call levels of designers. So if you think about this as a video game, right? And you start off with this level one role-playing character. And eventually in a game where you have 50 levels, when you hit 25, you're in the intermediate range. When you hit 50, you're the grandmaster. You're like the guy that has everything, right? And so the way that I want to talk about it is from that perspective that when we have different kinds of people developing digital products that they're selling, there's typically that the lowest level, the general population who are self-taught. It doesn't mean that they're at the lowest level where they don't know what they're doing, but instead it means that they are the people who were um, amateurs, right? They loved mm -hmm. what they're doing. They love this idea and they learned how to do it. For example, this is a great one. I like to use the Glowforge, which is a laser cutter to design and make products, which ultimately require you to design it digitally first. Through these different Facebook groups, I've seen that there are people who are normal people, nurses, um, restaurant workers, stay-at-home mothers, stay-at-home fathers. All these people from different walks of life are coming together and learning how to design different types of products. And then they go onto a website like Etsy and they start selling those, digi those digital designs. An example of something that people in this category are designing and making, which are, is beautiful, are signage. They're making signage for homes. So things like a sign you would put in your bathroom that looks really cool or might have a funny message. And they'll put that out there with really interesting graphics that they were able to cobble together. And then when you think about that idea and you think about the way that these people were self-taught and how they've designed it comes to show that when you go on a place like Etsy and you're looking for a digital product, the majority that you find is from this population. It's from the population of people from different walks of life who weren't trained as designers. Right. And then you get to the intermediate level or not intermediate. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to start off with the second one, which is young designers. I'm going to call them young designers because by that I'm referring to the people who are students in school and to the people who are... Uh, new to a profession. So they just graduated. And when you get to that category, you have people who know 
some level of design. They're so excited about what they're doing. They're aspiring for more. They don't know what they don't know yet. Ignorance is bliss, right? And they go and they start designing these cool things and they start to sell it on Etsy too. And when you have a group like that, you get this mix of quality. You get this mix of um, backgrounds. You get this mix of different types of design schools. And from that, you start to see this separation between what the general population designs based on what they know about design, what they know about the technology that they're using, and what they know about their audience. But you start to also see the separation between the general population and the young designers in the sense that the general population, I find, typically make a lot more sales because they know their audience. I don't know if you if you know what I mean by that, Michael. Have you have you noticed that or seen that before in any kind of marketplace? Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm even just going back to before we get to that. I'm even just thinking about sort of the structure that you created for us. I think for the the overall discussion, I think is really interesting because I had never really even thought about it the way you're even prefacing this conversation with before, where there's like these different levels or layers. Um, like, it's really interesting to me to even think about the fact that, you know, as we, as we get into the discussion more, we'll probably talk about how, you know, we ourselves have gotten to making digital things. And, you know, I, my first inkling was actually to make things that I knew how to make. And I guess I, never really thought about going into like another realm of stuff, but maybe that's already because we've been designers or we are architects. So it's, it's an interesting thing I hadn't really considered because I think you're right that there's a lot of people out there that, who want to make things that are sort of digital goods or that's like an easy thing for them to do or um, to just make things and put them out there and sell them. Um, it's just a really interesting topic because I think there's so much nuance and it's probably why you structured it the way you did to the different um, layers or levels. Um, I, I guess, uh, could you repeat what you said? Like in, in like one question. So I, I'm, I'm curious to know when you think about these different levels of designers, you think yeah. about the young aspirational designers who come from that design background. Then you think about the general population who come from a, standard average walk of life from a totally right. different profession and both of them get into the marketplace mm -hmm. have you ever noticed that most of the time the general population actually makes more sales than the designer group yeah i, I think um i think that makes a lot of sense and i i haven't really necessarily put it that way before for myself but i think that overall um you know we Architects in particular are historically bad at business, um, whether that's a real thing or a um, stereotype. I think that that's a reality because, um, or I believe it to be true because I personally think of myself first and foremost as a designer and less as an entrepreneur. Um, I have as what Gary Vee would call entrepreneurial tendencies, where I like business, you know, more than I did when I first started being an architect or a designer. But it's not something that I naturally, you know, gravitate towards. And I think that because of the way that my tastes have changed for design or aesthetics or um, 
performance over time and my knowledge base has grown for that. I'm trying to use that expertise as the designer to help make the world a better place, you know, one design at a time or whether that's at the small scale or the big scale or what have you. And I think the thing that frees people who don't have that is that they are um, unencumbered by the weight of that knowledge, if that makes sense. And I'm not making myself out to be this like brainiac designer. I just mean it more like there is that kind of sort of um, freeing sense that you can just kind of make what you're trying to, um, you know, solve your problem. You know, like you see all these people, especially who go on to like Shark Tank, you know, as a, a really good example, people who are just out of every every walk of life, just kind of come up with an idea because they had a problem and they just said, you know what, I'm going to try to sell this. I'm going to try to make a solution and go for it. And they could have nothing to do with design or, you know, they might even team with a designer or somebody to almost coax the solution out of um, uh, the, the problem that they're investigating. But really, they have this almost like purity of sensibility in a lot of cases because they're just trying to solve an issue and not be romantic about it. And I think that's partly where I have a lot of problems, honestly, when I'm making things for other people is I'm making things sometimes rightly so, I think, for myself. Like if I was in that position, what would I want? But I think that also becomes a detriment to the product in some cases and some of the things that I've made before, because it is very, it's like almost so focused that it's, yes, it would work for me, but it might not work for more people. And I think to your point, Tim, it probably helps if you are one of the masses, let's say in whatever field that is, then you're, I guess if it sounds bad, but closer to being an a, a normal person, <laughs> like the average person. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting that that you say it the way you did. So you were basically talking about this idea that the general population are solving problems that are immediate, like they see it right. in front of them. And because they see it, they solve it. So when we go back to that Glowforge example of someone who's designing a, a product in Adobe Illustrator and then laser cutting it, they typically look at something and say, well, if someone's buying a new house, right? And my target audience that I want to sell this digital file to is maybe a realtor who wants to buy a Glowforge to give a gift to their, a custom gift to their, um, their the, the buyers who are using them as a realtor. Right. Then I would want to design a sign that might be in the shape of a key that has something like uh, a, a congratulations on your purchase or um, a welcome home sign so that they can give it to the buyer once they make that purchase. And so when you start thinking about it in that sense, it's literally a direct correlation between someone from a general population who sees an immediate opportunity and then resolves it. Right. And from that, that digital file sells, but it sells because it's selling towards a greater population. Whereas I think when you talked about this idea that as a designer, we're bad at business, but we're also bad at marketing ourselves. We have this mm -hmm. fear of putting ourselves out there because when you're in school, what happens? You sit in front of a jury and they judge you. They don't always just judge your work. They judge your talent and your experience and your ability to produce work. When you get into the workforce, 
the traditional mindset, which still exists today in most design firms, is this idea that as a young designer, you have to prove yourself. To prove yourself, you need to still go through this entire process of being judged, of being uh, spoken to in a certain tone, or to have the people who are older, more experienced than you come to you and talk to you in a way where they feel like they're teaching you something. And a good example of that is in most design professions, you have a process called redlining. Mm -hmm. Not like when you're drawing on a map to racially divide the country, but more so in the sense that when you are drawing a set of plans as an architect, when you're doing any graphic design as a designer, you'll have the person who is leading your office or the partner in charge or the project manager review that set. When they review it, they'll take a red marker and they'll start to mark it up. And then they'll start commenting, well, you misspelled this word. You forgot a comma. You forgot a period. Oh, you should phrase it like this instead of like that. Or they'll start to redesign your design and sketch over it and say, oh, why, why'd you do it like this? You should have done it like that. And so we're in this world where as a designer, we've been so severely criticized, typically and traditionally in a, in a way that breaks you down, that I find most designers are afraid to even put a product out there. Yeah. So the issue isn't just that we don't have a target audience, it's that we're afraid. And that fear is what stops most young designers from putting themselves out there. Because the common reason for not doing it is that they're afraid that if they put something out there, it's not going to look good, it's not going to work, or it's going to be criticized and they're going to get flamed on social media for it. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that that way because I don't think that that is actually my issue. Um, I think there's a third kind of component here, which is, so if the first one is that we don't have a general enough audience or a, maybe a general enough understanding of what maybe that immediate need is, we, you know, let's say the the first problem is that we romanticize this, the problem, right? And we're, we make it sometimes bigger than what it actually needs to be. And the audience that we're trying to make it for is doesn't match up with whatever our idyllic kind of version of something is. So I think that's the one thing. And then the second one is what you just brought up, which is the fear of putting yourself out there, which I experience a little bit, but I, and I know that a lot of other people experience that too, but I don't personally experience that as much as the third thing which is um, uh, sort of perfectionism or procrastination kind of combining together as this like two-headed hydra where it's just like, I feel like I find myself in this cycle of, I need to take the problem to a, uh, a satisfying conclusion that I don't always find. And I think that I don't necessarily put my, all of my work out there as much as I could, because I don't feel like it's finished. And I feel like I have the problem sometimes where it's not about it being quote unquote perfect, but it's about it being done. And I don't always feel like things are done. So I don't feel like it's ready to be given to somebody. And I think that's where I step on my own toes because the reality is if I don't put it out there, I don't get feedback and then I don't be able to iterate on that process. And I think I'm learning as I get older to put myself out there more to iterate on things and not worry about it being finally done. But I think that that's kind of the, those are the three pitfalls that I see where, you know, you have the, you have the um, sort of 
mismatch of the audience to the product. You have the fear of putting yourself out there. And then you have this kind of nebulous, is it ever going to be done thing that just kind of cripples me. <laughs> so Yeah. You know, it, it, it all makes sense. But when you put it that way, I have, so, so here's where it gets really interesting. Let's say you did have a product that was ready to put out into the world. Let's say it was your yeah. book, right? Or better yet, let's say, let, let's go back to the course you put out on SketchUp. Mm -hmm. And when you think back to that time, when you were ready to hit publish and send that link out to everybody, you didn't feel like you were like, oh, what if they don't like my course? What if they, you know, like you didn't question those kinds of things. You just felt like, well, if I put it out there, it's out there. It's done. It's complete. People will like it. You know, like what, what ran through your mind at that moment when you were ready to click publish, you know? I mean, one of the things that I guess I did for myself was I gave myself a pretty hard deadline. And then I actually um, tied that deadline or that um, sort of like the cart is open time to very publicized marketed things um, through other publications and, and such so that if I pulled if I pulled back on that, it would have been um, very embarrassing, I guess, to sort of almost renege on whatever my goal was. Um, so that was one factor that was kind of run through my mind. I have to publish this regardless of what it is. Um, and then the other part was, at least at the time, this isn't actually how it turned out, but um, I, I thought that I was going to sort of have it evolve over time so that the course would get updated, you know, more and there would be more uh, modules and there'd be more videos and there'd be more supplemental things that I would create over time. The reality is, as you know, Tim, that's when I like completely burned out and like changed my life. So <laughs> it also was like this moment when I think I put, I was so confident in the quality of the product because I had at that time, even, you know, three or four years ago when it came out, I felt like an expert in SketchUp you know, as a designer, as a person, as somebody who teaches it to other people in my office. Um, you know, like, I feel like I have such a good grasp of that, that it didn't even matter. So it was like, all, it was almost me sort of automatically just sharing things, you know, very naturally. So I think that that expertise really does help um, versus other things that I've worked on where, you're just kind of throwing darts at the wall and hoping some of them actually hit the mark. And I think that I didn't necessarily care at the time about, like I wanted it to make money and I wanted it to be successful, but I didn't really care how much money it made, if that makes sense. So like I wanted it to be able to, you know, cover some costs, but the reality was I was just using it as a stepping stone to see if I want to teach more, to see if I wanted to go in a trajectory. And ultimately I will probably go back towards that, but it also was a pretty big red flag that I need to moderate how much I put into a product like that. So, you know, on the one side you're, you're moderating and you're kind of um, getting feedback on, in terms of like how your audience feels about something. You're also getting feedback on yourself about how it makes you feel to make that thing and put it out in the world. Right. And I think very specific kinds of products or experiences with products are probably very telling of what somebody's next product will or won't be. And mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, to go back to your question, I, I feel like I, I was really, really confident about the launch of that because I was very confident about the subject matter in a way that I'm not 
as confident about some other things I put out there. Um, you know, it's um, it's a good point to transition because you actually hit on something that I didn't think you'd say, but it was part of the the next level of the designers that I created, right? And and yeah. I'll, I'll I'll say it to you now, and you're probably going to say, "Wow, that really does make sense." So we talked about the first level, which is the general population who's an amateur and self taught. They love what they do; it's a hobby. They learned how to do it. Then typically you have some who actually become great designers too in that population. Then you have the young designers who go to school, they're new to the profession, they're still, you know, one to five years into their design profession. Then you have someone like you or I, who I would say are at an intermediate level of our professions or above. Yeah. So you talked about feeling like you are an expert at using SketchUp when you were developing the course. And because you felt that way about it, you felt like this is going to be a kick-ass course. Like this is going to be a great course that people are going to watch. And now they're going to be able to create the same things that you're able to. And because of that, you now have the confidence that the course you've created because of the quality and the time and effort you put into it will be at a level where someone else at the other end will benefit from it. And because of that, I think it's because you've had that level of experience, it made you really feel like, hey, I already teach people how to do this at some level. Yeah. Why don't I just do it officially? Whereas when you're a young designer and you're new to using a software, you wouldn't just go and create a course if it was your first <laughs> month using it, right? right? You'd, you'd doubt yourself. You'd be like, oh my God, why, why am I teaching someone how to use Illustrator when I can't, I don't even know what the pen tool is. You know, like yeah. there are things that that you start to learn over time. And when you have the tips and tricks, that's when you're like, okay, I can really teach this course. So now I'm going to transition from talking about those three different kinds of designers to talking about something that these three types and levels of designers often have to encounter with their digital product. And this is something that I recently had to encounter too. It's the quality of the product that they're selling. And it's not just the product But if you're selling something for someone else to make physically and to manifest into the world, Mm -hmm. it's also the instructional package that they send out with it. Yeah. When When you think about it in that way, when you think about a general population of people who are not really in this for the long run and they create a product and they put it out into the world, I actually purchased some on Etsy to try it out. And I loved what they came up with, but the things that were missed are things that are big no-nos to me, right? So for example, Mm -hmm. I purchased Christmas ornament files so that I can laser cut it and use it. Someone designed the graphics, they cut it out, it looked beautiful. When When I purchased the files and I cut it, there were some ornaments where the interior design of it, the the actual graphic of it was designed with such tight tolerances where if you touched the... Um, the antlers of the reindeer on one of them, it would snap. It would it would just break because it was so it was so thin that anything that t- made contact with it would break it. And I right. broke almost all of them. And then you have like a Santa Claus face where it was drawn to be like a, a line drawing kind of thing of Santa Claus. But when you cut it out, it looked kind of cool. And I did the same thing. And when you touched a certain part of it, it snapped and the whole thing fell through. And I was like, oh man, I purchased this file and it kind of did what the file said, but the file itself didn't produce a quality product. So when we talk about quality, the general population, when they have enough experience, can produce something of quality, 
But when they are doing it with the pure purpose of selling, sometimes they can miss the point. And oftentimes they'll sell a product that doesn't actually work in the end and it needs a lot of finessing. Yeah. And then you have the young designers who create these products, but there's something missing in it, right? Like they can get a really great file out there, but they can't sell it. They can't seem to find the right audience. They can't really get to a point with their product where they feel confident to back it and to say, okay, if I sell this product to so-and-so, I'm sure they can make it. Then you have the intermediate level of people who are like, well, I made it. It worked out. I'm going to include an instructional assembly guide kind of like Ikea so that mm -hmm. someone else can create the same thing. And then you'll have like the designers who are creating graphic designs, right? And when they're selling a digital product that's a graphic design, like a tattoo or something like that, you'll always have ranges of people where the end product is either of really high quality because it's a style or you have someone who's replicating styles. Yep. And so when we look at selling digital products in a marketplace like Etsy for someone else to purchase, I think I've always seen that the general population makes the most sales, but their products aren't always the best in terms of quality. When you look at a young designer and an intermediate designer's products, you have a great digital product, but sometimes the price point just doesn't match or you just can't find it because right. the general population has so much pull with their audience that they end up at the front of the searches and then the designers end up at the end. And yeah. so it's a really interesting dilemma to face. Then you encounter the copycats, the people who see your file and they just literally take it and sell it. They say, well, I'm going to download Mike's file. I'm going to change one or two things about it and put it back out in the marketplace at a slightly decreased price point and sell it. And at that point, they just stole your entire audience unless you had true fans. And then you have the price point question, which I think is the biggest one for every designer. Well, how do I price my product? Right. And I think that's where brand really starts to come in. But when you look at it from that perspective of the three different levels of designers, you typically see that the price point of the general population designing products to sell digitally will have a lower price point because they're looking at, at mass. They're looking at getting the most people to buy their thing. Right. When you look at a designer, it's typically a higher price point, especially for younger designers, because there seems to be a disconnect between what younger designers think something is worth versus what an intermediate designer thinks something is worth. Right. And because of that, you get a big discrepancy between price points. And so when you look at a price point as a designer, the way that I've always seen it work out for me is I look at the marketplace and I look at what's being sold. I look at what's similar to what I'm selling. And then I look at the quality of that thing. And then I start to gather that research, just marketplace research on what I could potentially sell this product for. And from that, I derive what my time, my experience, and what the quality of my files are. And then I compile it and I sell it for the price that I decided on. So it's an interesting question here in terms of how do you sell a digital product and how do you start determining your price point? But what I really want to transition to talking about and then we can end the episode on this on this point here, is talking about not just the price point, but the financial upside of getting into the digital marketplace and mm -hmm. selling your designs digitally to the world and how that can actually influence your financial gains personally. So I'll share a story about 
my experiences selling a digital product and what I've ended up experiencing now that I've been doing it for over a year. So when I first got into it, I did all this research to figure out how much I can sell a product for, um, what kind of product I want to sell. And then I went through that fear of, well, what if someone looks at what I'm selling and they're just like, oh, it's it's not going to work. You know, like they download the file and then they can't put it together. Like they're just not at the level of and they're just not at the level that they need to be to be able to not only purchase the files that I've designed, but actually physically create it. Because the files that I'm selling are digital files that people can laser cut and then assemble into a product. And so I kept facing that fear. And I was like, man, one day I just want to start selling this. So how do I solve that problem of making sure that everyone who purchases my file will actually be able to make it? And so I created a new type of instruction guide where I literally took step-by-step photographs of how it comes together. And I created this really beautifully designed guide that also includes all of the materials you need, all of the um, tools you're going to need. And then I write out the step-by-step instructions so that people can create it. Once I did that, I was like, okay, now I feel more confident about this, this product being able to be sold and made. And then I started selling it. And the, the coolest thing that still to this day I'm so surprised by is this idea that I have all these digital products on Etsy now. And every time I make a sale, I don't need to be there to hand something over. Right. That the sale goes in, the money comes into my bank, and the person gets the file without me ever saying anything to them, without me ever having to make contact with them, without me ever having to print a shipping label. Everything's done in the background. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part to this is the question about marketing yourself as a designer so that people find your product and trust you to buy yours. The way that I actually overcame that was by garnering an audience both on Instagram and YouTube by sharing videos of me making the product. And by doing that, eventually the people who buy the product also subscribe and they start following me. And as they see new products, I start to get comments like, hey, are you selling this product? And then I tell them, yeah, maybe in a month. And after that month comes around, I actually message someone and I was like, hey, this product is now available. As soon as I message them, they not only bought that product, but they bought three other ones in the shop. Mm-hmm. And once they did that, I made $60 on the sale. Right. And that was just, I didn't have to do anything for it. They received the files, they made the product. And not only did they make the product, they also then left a review on Etsy took a photograph of their product that they made using the file and validated the fact that it works. And so now that whole dilemma I was in about, well, how do I know this is going to work out for the person who buys it? That all went away and then more trust is being built now. So the financial upside for designers who are interested in getting into selling digital products is definitely there, especially right now, if you can find your niche and start selling your designs because you can make money without having to ever deliver a physical thing. And I think that that's the beauty of a digital product. Uh, that's very well said. Um, <laughs> to, uh, I'm going to come back to that, but uh, I wrote this down because I didn't want to lose my thought. Um, when you, we were talking earlier uh, about uh, not necessarily the different levels, but something that kind of dawned on me as we were talking was as we're making things. And I think this relates a lot to a designer mindset versus like the, uh, not necessarily just 
relegated to the lowest um, of the levels that you're talking about, but the amateur whose um, primary goal is in most cases when they want to make something, they have that entrepreneurial spirit and they're trying to sell it to make money or, you know, to maybe they have an interest in that thing or solving that problem, but they're also trying to make money. Whereas I feel like my primary focus, and I kind of hinted at this earlier, but I didn't really know how to say it, is that my primary focus as a designer is to design and it's not to make money. And I think that that's also part of the problem that we have as designers is that if you do have that mindset, it's very difficult to see what is um, you know, is it the cart before the horse or is it the horse before the cart in terms of your motivation for the thing that you're making digital or physical or otherwise? Um, and I just wanted to make a note of that because it, it just, it's something that I found as across when I look at across the, the things that I've made digitally. Um, Cause I really haven't made too many physical things that I've, and actually I can't think of anything I've physically sold before. So everything I've ever sold has been digital. I've sold, um, you know, resume templates because a lot of the stuff that I do is more, I mean, Tim, you're, you're selling like templates and stuff because you're making all these Glowforge, you know, laser cut things, um, sharing them. Like you said, mine has been much more focused in uh, teaching people career-based skills um, and providing templates to make their, I guess, ease to ease them into their career, uh, you know, as much as I can and to reduce that friction in their career. So I'm creating like calendars and templates and like resource guides and courses um, ultimately to do something different than what you're doing. But the thing that's fascinating to me is that it's all in this like digital world where it's same thing like you just described. Um, I'll get an email from somebody saying, hey, I liked your stuff. And um, I see that you wrote an article on SketchUp or I saw a video, you know, webinar that you did. Um, where can I learn more? And I'll either direct them to my blog or the blog will lead somebody to the course or, you know, it all kind of, the thing that's magical about it is that every now and then I'll just see PayPal say that I have some more money <laughs> and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, somebody was interested enough to, you know, this course that I have is around $200 at the time that we're recording. And you know, it's not like a small ask, you know, you have to kind of invest that money into it. Um, but it's just interesting to me that I don't have to be there with like a, a slip of paper or hand them a box that has a, you know, a disc in it for, you know, some sort of software. I'm just, putting this out on the internet. And if somebody gets interested in you and, you know, you share enough, like we both um, have had newsletters and blogs and vlogs and videos and things like that, and trying to put ourselves out there in a way where we're connecting with people. And as soon as you make those connections, um, I've had people who have bought things for no other reason other than to find a way to give back to me. And they put that in the notes of whatever they're purchasing, where they're just like, look, I don't even need this, but here's $15 because I like you a lot and I appreciate what you're doing for the community. Um, and that's, in some ways, that's actually more rewarding to me because it makes me feel like I'm making a difference in somebody's life without them necessarily needing exactly what I had, but I'm fulfilling that other part of my, I guess, design life to, um, like I said earlier in the uh, episode to, you know, make the world a better place. And as like altruistic as that sounds, that's really what I'm all about. So, yeah. And, and it's interesting that you say that because that's how I started too. 
when I had the whole YouTube channel going and I kept developing all these different products, even up to up to now, all the products I'm designing and creating, I now look at it from the perspective of how do I get this into the hands of other people so that they can learn how to make it too. And the, the area that the one thing that I did recently that really taught me that was having a meeting with the software development team at Glowforge, where they actually had this webinar and uh, they invited me to join their team and to, to share my experience using their products, share my right. experience using the software. And through that, one of the things that um, their product salesperson, who's the, the vice president for that area for them, said to me, because they were trying to get more of my products into their shop, it was this idea that my product is in line with the vision of Glowforge because it teaches people how to make something beyond a two-dimensional realm. Mm -hmm. And my products aren't difficult to assemble. And he pointed that out and he said he made it. And it wasn't difficult. And the first time he made one, he was able to make every other one with no issue. Yeah. And so he wanted me to give more of my products to them to sell because he wants to push this idea that the quality of the things that I'm putting together, the quality of the uh, instructions, the quality of the videos that I have on YouTube is at a level where the average person can get this file, make that product once, learn from that experience, and now apply it to creating a product of their own. Right. And to me, that's where it really hit me. And I was like, you know, I should sell more products, not because of the financial gain, but because I get to see other people who would have never thought that they could create something like this, actually make it and to see the excitement from them. And then they start sharing photos with me on Instagram and they start sharing it on the forums. And to see that feedback, I think is to me worth more than the money that comes from the sale. So, mm -hmm. so I, I think ultimately, if you're approaching selling digital products from this idea that you're going to make a lot of money, you could make a lot of money, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be happy about what you're selling. Right. But if you approach it from the perspective that you want to love what you're selling and you start to sell that, that digital product because you love it that much, that love is going to carry over to the next person who, who's buying your file and then they'll respond to you in some way and form and it'll come back in its own way. So, so one, one thing I'd actually like to kind of end this on that might be kind of a call to action for people is what do you think is the best way for somebody to, who's never done it, who might be at any one of these levels, they might actually have more experience than, you know, the amateur or they're at, you know, above and beyond, I guess, what would you say is, um, the best strategy for somebody who wants to get into digital I mean, in your experience, Tim, like what is what would your advice be to somebody who wants to make a digital product and sell it or or distribute it? I I think it's a it's a really it's a great question to end this on. For me, since our our audience here on unpacking design is primarily designers, what I would do is I would look into my own passions as a designer. Just because I'm an architect doesn't mean all I like to design is architecture. In fact, right. you probably need a break from the thing you do by the end of the day. So, you know, if you if you have another hobby that's related to design or not, and that's, and you could create something digital to sell with it, then I would take the time to document the process of creating that digital file or that digital thing. If you're a graphic designer or a tattoo artist who does it digitally, 
-hmm. record the process of you sketching it in your iPad. Use the screen capture app. Use the use a camera. Use whatever you have. Record that process. Get a nice photo or a nice digital、uh, screen capture of the final product, and start sharing the process and the final outcome on social media. So that all your friends and other people who follow you can start to see what you're doing, and as you do that, put in your caption a question like, "Hey, this is something that I love to do, and it's something that I've always enjoyed doing for these reasons. Would you ever buy a product like this?" And then you'll see people either like th- this is something interesting. When I do something like that, I don't get a comment all the time. Instead, I get a private message. I get a, a DM. Sure. And they'll say, "Hey, are you selling this?" And I'm like, "Hey,、mm-hmm. I guess I could." But that's where you start to develop confidence too, because not only do you get a response of someone saying, "Yeah, I would buy that," people always feel the need to tell you why. They'll say, "Yeah, I'd buy this. I love the way that you did this. I love the way that you did that." And you start to build that level of confidence that you need, so that when you're selling the product, you feel like. This is the product and the best that you have. Instead of it being, this is the thing I'm gonna sell for a dollar, you know. Yeah, I I think the piece of advice that I would give people is, what is the、uh, question or the thing that people ask you most often has always been a good sort of、uh, jumping off point for me. So, like one of the reasons why I created a、uh, resume template, just as an example, is that. People were asking me about career stuff, and they were asking, "Oh, how do I get a job?" Well, you have to start with a pretty good resume, and you need to upkeep it and things like that. Same thing about the SketchUp course. It's like people just kept asking me how to, you know, be、uh, the most proficient that they could in their job at SketchUp. And rather than making, you know, a hundred blog posts, I was like, "Why don't I make one course and share it with people?" So, yeah, I think this is a really great. Point to end the episode on. It's actually a really cool one because I never thought about sharing that idea of, hey, if you've never done this before, how could you get started? So it's, it's a, it was a really great question, Mike. Thanks for joining <laughs> us today, guys. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Unpacking Design. Check us out anytime at unpackingdesign.com, and you can also find us on iTunes and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Please remember to leave a review and share this podcast with someone you know.